0: Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Am I Saved? Whether we grew up in church our entire life, or were a brand new believer, chances are we've asked ourselves this question before. Our prayer is that you gain a better understanding of the authenticity of your salvation by listening to today's message. Good morning, Connection Church. There's eight of you here. Um... A lot of mannequins. Good morning, guys. I'm happy to be here. My name's Joey Fennel, and um, filling in for the absent Brandon, who happens to be sitting right over here. Um, it's awkward. It's awkward at nine. It's awkward at eleven. Uh, it's fine. Um, I did make a little mistake in the, the first service and talking about this "Am I saved" thing and bringing it to a close and just coming on strong. And we got one more week, so. Um, just know that we got one more week so I, the pressure's off i don't have to get everybody saved today we got one more week to handle this um but this is going to be a, a great time we had a wonderful time at nine we baptized what 12 11 12 something like that it was oh man it was just fantastic we had a great time outside we'll be doing that again after this service and um talking a little bit more about that as we go um this am I saved thing? I um, was thinking about this, this service and, and this sermon. Um, the, the two words that come to mind are statement and surrender. Statement and surrender. And, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Did you make a statement? Have you surrendered to God? Surrendered to Jesus? What is the difference in those things and that sort of thing? So, over this past weekend, I've been thinking about it. Um, Coach fast pitch softball yesterday, five games, long day out in the heat. Um came on strong, finished second in the tournament out of three, but it was still good. We weren't we we weren't the worst. We weren't the best, but we weren't the worst. Um a great day and just watching parents and people out there, you know, sporting their their stuff and, and their team colors and went to Georgia Southern baseball games uh Friday night and same thing. See these people with their eagle stuff on, and they're just cheering their team on and you know during football season you see that the trailers coming through town the the rvs they got their magnets and their little things waving and all that good stuff they're they're just happy and uh pulling for their team and i was thinking about is something happened on the inside of them to make that decision they made a decision to like a certain team and follow a certain team and then on the outside they're showing it so we show that on the outside the decision was made on the inside and shows on the outside and I think a lot of times in our faith journey, it's sometimes a little opposite of that. We say we made a statement to follow Christ, but have we really surrendered? Because what we're going to learn today is if we've surrendered to Christ, then some type of change is supposed to take place. A change happens as a result of that surrendering. And so many times we don't really do that. I was looking at some stats and it said that 94% of Americans believe in God, 94% which tells me about 90% live like he doesn't exist. It seems like it. It seems like it. Not to be judgmental, but a lot of people claim to know God, but live as if he doesn't exist. So if you're not a Christian today and you're here, thank you for being here. Um, We're gonna have a great time and and work through this. And and I'm gonna try my best to simplify some things because I think it is much more simple than we've made it as a church. Uh, Maybe you're going to... um, Maybe you've been going to places over your lifetime to churches that either beat the hell out of you or scared the hell out of you. You know what I mean? Beat you down and said, don't do this, don't do that, don't drink, don't cuss, don't smoke, or, or, you know, I don't even know how that joke goes because it didn't rhyme in my head, so I'm not going to say it. So, or, or, or is that scaring you? You know, you got, you don't want to go to hell. It's hot down there. You know, pray this prayer and avoid hell rather than praying a prayer to live in relationship with Christ is a totally different thing. So over the past few years, I've been uh, uh, struggling with this cholesterol issue, and um, several years ago, got kind of a scare. Went to the doctor for a physical. He called me up and said, "You need to come back in. These tests don't look good." And I figured, found out my cholesterol was out the roof, really high. And um, but one of the greatest things he said to me, he goes, "This is something we're going to treat with medication. Is not the kind of cholesterol issue that really exercise helps." And I was like, "Yes." so awesome just take a pill and just move on he goes "Nah, it's not quite like that exercise does help and i hate to exercise i absolutely despise it i i wish so much that i could just like go do a sprint you know then i run back in the house and sit down a couple months later do another sprint and that would be good but i've watched the infomercials i've stayed up at night and none of them none of them sell that you know i think if i could package that thing it would be awesome but It just doesn't work that way. So I've struggled with that. I know just enough information, but I haven't made the change. I haven't made the change. And I I know that I need to, I know that I need to, but I just cannot stand it. Exercise is boring and it's hard. You know, they say that you're going to get your heart rate up. Like, I don't want to get my heart rate up. I feel better sitting here looking at you than getting my heart rate up. It's just so overrated. But anyway... I'll get to that later and uh, talk to you a little about that. So I know just enough information, but never made the change. We believe just enough to keep us out of hell, but not enough to change the way we live. And that's the problem in the church. Jesus did not die on the cross that we could live so that we could live the way he want that we want to. He died on the cross so we would give ourselves to him. So let's pray and we will jump into this. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you've already done in changing lives and taking people from death to life through baptism and and going through those waters. We thank you for that. And God, we pray. We pray right now that you open our hearts. God, give me the words to say and be obedient to your word this morning. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Have you ever done anything that confused you? I mean, just totally and outright confused you, had an experience where you looked at it and you're like, I don't understand why this is. I do that on I-16 a lot. And the reason is I get out there and I'm cruising along and I see that sign that says road work next 32 miles. Why do we do road work for 32 miles? Why can't we do it like for a mile? And then move the cones rather than ruining 32 miles of the most boring journey on earth anyway, between here and Macon. Why do you have to ruin it and make me go 60 instead of 160? I just don't understand why we have to do that. And the other thing is what they're working on is they they cut out a section of the road and then they fill it back in with concrete every 30 feet what is that about i don't know if i thought they were like maybe treasure hunting i didn't really understand maybe it's this spot maybe it's this one and you look at it from a helicopter and you're like y'all missed it a lot because you got these squares every 30 feet it just confuses me i don't know why that if you work in road work please don't send me an email and explain it because i would love the illustration i want to continue to use it so the um The thing about that confusion is we've done the same thing in church when it comes to salvation. We've confused it so much in the denominational world. Now, let me disclaimer this. I am a Baptist through and through. I was born Baptist. I was born, I was in the church as Baptist in the womb. Okay, my mom played the organ. So I was there nine months prior to even being born, sitting at the organ, listening to the things going on, all right? So I've been Baptist all my life, went to a Baptist seminary and and love the denomination. I really do. But we have done so many things, I think, traditionally that's confused people as to what it means to be saved and what a salvation experience is like. For, For some Pentecostals, they'll say that you have to speak in tongues to be saved. I don't understand that. I don't understand tongues. I I believe in them. They're they're scriptural, but there's a lot of stuff about that. that I think we've either perverted or or made confusing over the years. Um, you know, talk fast and it'll begin to happen. I just don't see that happening. Or, Or we do, we say confirmation classes, infant baptism, all these different things, in different denominations. We have priests in some, and then you have the Baptist. Don't drink. You'll be saved. I mean, it's, it's all those types of things. um, you do know how to keep a Baptist from drinking your beer, right? Yep, just invite two of them. There you go. Thank you. That's a bad joke, but Baptists, we're very private. We're very private people and uh, prefer that no one knows that what we're doing in our sinful lives. So I want to break break us down into three different groups. At first, that really went well. That really went well. You like that? Yeah, that was good. It's carried on, didn't it? I think it just took people a while to get it or they're like, Oh my gosh, I do that. Um, the, um, so three different groups of people. The first group is the, I know that I know group. And, and that's the group I put myself in. I know that I am saved. I know that I surrendered to Christ and, and I have no doubts about my salvation daily. I try my best to call on God, lead me in the direction you will have me to go. As a therapist, I pray through my clients throughout the day. Please, God, give me the the wisdom that I need to speak into their lives if I need to. Help me to listen when I need to listen, talk when I need to talk. I truly, truly do that. So I I know that I know that I'm saved. Another group is the people that know they're not. You know, I know I'm not saved. And and you're in here too. And and you may have accidentally got here. Maybe you passed out in a car last night, and that car ended up here this morning. And you got out, and you're like, this is not my apartment. Uh, You know, and... And you just happened to end up here. They tricked you, told you were going to, uh, you know, some, some restaurant and and you ended up here and you're like, dude, this is wrong, but we're going to lunch afterwards. So I'll go in with you for a little while. So maybe you're here, but you know, you're not saved. It's not an issue for you. You know, just, I know I'm not saved, but then there's a third group of, I don't know. I I don't know that I'm saved. Maybe you say "I, I made a decision at a young age or, or I had chills one time in a service and maybe that was it, but you know, I had chills when I watched the movie 42 a couple of weeks ago. Awesome, awesome movie. I have chills at every NASCAR race I go to and the, and the, you know, the airplanes fly over at the national anthem. Awesome. Have chills every time. I'm a redneck at heart. I ain't scared to say it. Love it. Just have those chills. We have chills at ball games. We have chills anywhere and everywhere. That's, that's not surrendering our life to Christ because we can have chills without something changing. But I want to really, really make it simple and not be confusing today. Basically, meeting Christ equals change. Meeting Christ equals change. And I think that um, if we look at it in that direction, rather than let's do this, 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 and this, or I make this decision, then I have to do this, 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 and this, it just really confuses the issue. So this is our starting point this morning. So you can't meet Christ and stay the same. There are no examples in the scripture, none whatsoever, where someone met Christ, followed him, and did not change. There are no examples in the text with that. So this goes kind of against Southern Christianity, you know, to live however we want to during the week. And then on Sunday, show up in our best and, and do the Southern thing. Because if you ask any Southerner, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church every Sunday okay, that's good. I mean, you're going to run into them all the time. And some of us are in here just in the past few weeks. Uh, my wife and I have been, had some conversations with some old friends and, and, um, had some good experiences and, and talking to to them. And, and this couple went through a divorce and it's been really sad and trying to keep up with them. And we're talking to the, the lady about, about the situation and just said, you know, how's, how's he doing your ex husband? How's he doing in relationship with the kids and that sort of thing. And, um, she did an interesting thing that he said to her. He said, you know, I'll, I'll agree to do the Sunday thing with them, but it's not going to affect me Monday through Saturday. I'm going to continue to do what I want to do. It's like, God, it just flies right in the face. And it hit me right between the eyes that that's what I'm going to preach about. That's exactly what we do so often. But we believe that I grew up going to Sunday school. Anybody go to Sunday school? Sunday school. Yeah. Got some gold stars. Some awesome stuff, some flannel graph. It's awesome kind of things, you know, that dated me. And um, like flannel graph, what is that, a new shirt? But um, I remember every Sunday morning, each of us in our family, we had our little um, box of envelopes, okay? And it had a number on it so the church could keep up with how much you gave. And they had to keep up with mine because it was a lot. It was a quarter every Sunday. So that added up through the years. a good about a million dollars in quarters. So I, I got my envelope, and I would get my quarter from my parents because I wasn't working at seven or eight. And um, I'd get the quarter and put it in there. And on the left side was these little check marks. And one was like, brought Bible, read Bible daily, tithe. You know, those things that you just check off and you turn it in, they counted up and it was really awesome. Well, you know what it taught me to do? It taught me to lie in church. <laughs> That's exactly what it taught me to do. It was like, read Bible, well, two Two out of seven is not bad i 'll just do a short check. you know I just put a, a little check and keep that between me and the big guy, but um, you know that was just just teaching me to perform and it 's not a bad thing i 'm not just kicking kicking the church in the face, but what did it really teach you know it, it really did teach some type of performance rather than surrender so for many years, even in the church world even um, in my denomination, you know, when I was on staff, we would use this term when people would join the church, and it would be someone who was already a Christian, had been baptized. They would join the church, and we would introduce them. So and so comes by statement. Comes by statement. That statement is, I've already know Christ, I've been baptized, I just want to be a member of your church. It's all well and good, it's part of the tradition, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. Have you made a statement, or have you surrendered? Did you make a statement or did you surrender? Have you made a statement to get out of hell or have you surrendered to Christ? Now, I didn't ask you if you prayed some manipulated prayer because that's easy to do too. And we have three children and we decided we wanted to make sure that they were saved. So we, we lined them up in the kitchen and we turned the oven on. And each one of them, we stuck their head in the oven just for a second and said, it's really hot. This is hot. This is just like hell. And if you pray this prayer, you won't go there it was pretty simple it was really easy to do nah i'm just kidding we didn't do that susan and brandon did that but we didn't do that um sorry some jokes work twice don't they (laughs) so uh of course we didn't do that, but many of you have been through that experience. Many of us have been in those services when, when, when there's like weeping and gnashing of teeth at the end of the service. And everybody's, I don't want to be saved. I want to go to hell. Please save me from hell. And we, we just get lured into this emotional experience rather than let's look at it for what it is. and Make a decision to follow Christ that equals change, period. That's all there is to it. I make a decision to follow Christ and it equals change because I'm surrendering my life to him. So open up with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter seven. And and I encourage you to read chapter six, chapter seven. We're gonna look really late in chapter seven in verse 51. And Stephen is a preacher and he is preaching this sermon to the Sanhedrin and some other folks I'm sure gathered around. But basically this group of people that's gathered around want to kill him, all right? So he's a a preacher on Sunday morning coming to the congregation and they want to kill him. Pretty excited. You know, I usually don't get real nervous preaching, but I think if I knew that there were a few of out there that wanted to take me out after the service, I'd be a little bit more nervous about being here, you know, and and we cut up about that when I was on staff at a church and, you know, talking about safety and the terrorism type of stuff that we have. And I can remember a preacher saying, well, you know, I'm not worried about y'all. I'm the one standing up here in front of everybody the bullseye, you know, walking back and forth across the stage, y'all don't have to worry about much, but kind of a weird situation that Stephen's in. So he's preaching. He's really bringing it on. If you read all of seven, all six and seven, you'll see he was preaching. He was bringing it and people were listening and paying attention. But then he, I don't know if he had some type of reaction to a bee sting or what actually happened to him, but he kind of freaks out in verse 51. I don't know if maybe somebody wasn't paying attention. So he said, I want to say this and really get their attention. Some pastors do that. None of us would ever do that here. Okay. So look at verse 51 and we'll jump right into it. You stiff necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. Great word there. I don't know what it has to do with the heart or the ears, but anyway, you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. I'm talking about Jesus. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the, Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. An awesome picture. The only place in scripture where we hear that God or Jesus stands in honor of someone. Stephen's preaching the word. He's about to get stoned. And Jesus stands at the right hand of God saying, that's my boy. I am proud of him. Just an awesome picture. Look, he said, I see heaven open up and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. The last picture that Stephen gets. Such an awesome picture. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. You ever see kids do that? They don't like to hear what's going on. That's what these guys were doing. It's very attractive for grown people. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, tradition states that. Um, this laying the coats at someone's feet. They would lay the coats at the person's feet who sort of brought the charges or led the charge against someone in the situation. So we're assuming here that Saul is kind of leading the force here to stone Stephen. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, good picture, Stephen's up there. They're wailing him with rocks. And what is he doing? Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep and he died. Immediately in the next chapter, chapter eight, and Saul approved their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. There are those who are passive about their disbelief. And you may have invited somebody over the years. You may be working on somebody in your family. Or it may be you that's sitting here just kind of like, you know, y'all believe what you want to believe. But I'm going to believe what I want to believe. And and we're just going to kind of go our separate ways. Or we still kind of hang out. But... You just do your thing and I'm going to do my thing. And then there's the people like Saul who are just, you know, we look at them as like crazy off their rockers, but Saul believed passionately what he was doing. He believed exactly what was going on. And, and we've seen it even on our own soul in the past couple of weeks when people do something in the name of religion, do something that we look at and go, how in the world do you get to that point where that's a good idea, Right? So Saul is is believing very intently as to what's going on. He's angry. He's angry about this Jesus guy because it's being thrown in the face of what he believes. In chapter nine, verse one, chapter nine, verse one. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way of Jesus whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul was handling this so aggressively because like I said, he believed passionately what was going on. That's what he needed to solve. He needed to to stop this movement, stop these people who are following this Jesus guy. We already killed him. We took him out. And then we got to snuff out all these followers who are still preaching about what he said. We got to end it. So he was aggressively going after it. But when it comes to the bottom line, if he started to believe in this Jesus guy, it would throw in the face of everything that he was doing. So when it comes down to it, Saul did not want to change. He couldn't change because so much he believed so intently for what he was doing was right and was even for God. He believed in the law. He knew what the law said and this could not be the Messiah. So he was passionate and did not want to change. And that causes people to resist the grace of God. When we don't want to change, we resist the grace of God. So Saul is at the church service and he still resists. He heard this whole thing during the invitation. He did not raise his hand during just as I am and say, I want to follow Jesus. He left there angry and killed people. That's not a good church service. All right. Not a good church service at all. I know some people leave a little angry because it's lunchtime. You know, blood sugar's dropping, whatever you may be. But not many people leave church and go, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kill some of them. I was thinking about, you know, Brandon maybe calling me. I don't know who's going to be here. So he calls me today after the service and says, so how would it go? Oh man, it was awesome. Man, we had we had about you know 10 decisions to follow christ and and in the early service we had this and and we had baptisms we had a baptism of about 35 people today it was awesome oh we had four murders too sorry about those um somebody got a little angry afterwards what is that about can you imagine that but that's exactly what saul did he was so angry after the church service he goes out and kills christians puts them in prison and kills them Verse three. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul's response, Who are you, Lord? Again, don't be Jesus, don't be Jesus, don't be Jesus, don't be Jesus. I am Jesus. Oh That's what I thought. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. I don't know what Jesus' perspective I just, I just think I'm Jesus standing up there going, yeah, bring it on now, big guy. have been killing my folks. I'm the man. Bring it on now. I just made that up, but I thought it'd be cool. <laughs> now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. When you make a decision to follow Christ... When you surrender and begin to make changes, people don't see what you're seeing. They don't understand what's going on in your life and you're gonna get persecuted. You're gonna get kicked back. You're gonna get not invited to something or you're gonna get made fun of. Those things are gonna happen. But that's part of following Christ. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to be in the world and of the world. We're supposed to be doing things of Christ and through Christ and him through us. Saul got up from the ground. And when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Could not see and did not eat or drink anything. Now I was taught most of my life that this was Saul's conversion experience. This is what happened to him. He even says it at the top of thing in my Bible, Saul's conversion experience. As I began to think about that, I thought, but what if we had experiences like that? I mean, if you're here today and you decide, I'm going to, I'm going to make this decision to follow Christ. And you pray a prayer all by yourself sitting there. I'm going to follow you, Christ. I want you to be a part of my life. Amen. Let's go eat. And you don't tell anybody. Results are the same. You don't have to change. You're not accountable to anyone. Nobody knows what you did. You continue to do whatever you want to. You just acquired fire insurance with no change. I don't really know if that's a salvation experience. It's not what the text says because the scripture says it all throughout to meet Jesus equals change. To meet Jesus and not go to hell, it never says that. To meet Jesus equals change. So when we meet Jesus, we make a change. We make a change. So I think God always involves people in our conversion. And that's where the story goes to next. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord. He answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias, you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered. Now, Ananias knew what was going on here. He knew Saul. Everybody knew Saul. It's not somebody that you would share the same side of the street with or claim to know Jesus when you got around him because he'd throw you in prison or kill you. So think back in history. God wakes you up in the 1940s and says, I need you to go. Um, lay hands on adolf hitler for me all right this is kind of the same thing and you're like oh i'd love to do that no you wouldn't i mean none of us would We'd be scared to death this is what he's telling you to do and he says i've i've heard many reports about this man god and, and all the harm he's done to your holy people in jerusalem it's like dude have you seen his face face stuff his status you, you with me all right thank you all right Somebody actually corrected me this morning. I did that on purpose, all right? Or maybe it was hashtag killing Christians. You know, follow me on this one. Ananias knew what was going on. Like, God, I really don't want to go do this. Do you have somebody else? I really don't want to talk to this guy. This This is a bad dude. Verse 14. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. You read the headlines, God. I don't want to go see him. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit immediately. Immediately, something like scales front fell from Paul's eyes, or Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and baptized, and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Immediately, something happened. We saw suddenly, immediately, immediately, something happened. Scales fell, fell from his eyes. He immediately submitted to the gospel. He immediately submitted to the teachings of Jesus and knew the next step I've got to take is to be baptized. I've made the decision I must be baptized so that others will know. Others will know the change that's gone on the inside and now I'm going to do something on the outside. He did it immediately. Now that's not to be confused with You know, some people will say, well, my my salvation is a journey. Yes, it absolutely is. It is a day by day by day thing. But surrendering, something happens to you immediately and change takes place. You can't meet Jesus and stay the same. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Verse 20, another catchphrase, at once. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. At once, he surrenders his life to Christ, he's baptized and starts preaching immediately. That is so awesome. But I think that's the very thing that keeps us from changing. What if? What if I surrender my life to Christ and he asks me to do something I don't wanna do? Guess what? He probably will. Because that's why we don't wanna change in the first place. I don't want to change the things that I enjoy. I don't want to change the things that I enjoy that aren't in line with what Christ is telling me to do. When I made that change and I can remember it was on a winter retreat. I had made a decision early in life at eight years old and was baptized. I was eight though. How much could I really know? I didn't live a life of Christ through, through high school and into college a little bit here and there. I did my Sunday things. I did some cool stuff. I was president of my youth group. So what? You know, I checked that off. But when I truly surrendered to Christ and I'm sitting on a a snow-covered mountain up in West Virginia and God just slaps me in the face and says, you need to surrender to me because I'm getting tired of you talking about you knowing me and living like you don't because you're giving me a bad name. And I feel like he said it to me kind of like that, a little louder though. So on that trip, I actually prayed and I said, God, I need you to turn over this relationship with this girl over to you. I get back and I don't like her anymore. It was weird, didn't hate her, but there was just nothing there at all. And it's like he had prepared her too and it was just go our separate ways. So you never know what God's gonna do. When you make that change and you surrender, yes, it could get scary, but I guarantee you, you will be blessed. You will be blessed and God will help you get in the right place, right where he wants you, that it's going to benefit him. Not you specifically, but everything we do will glorify him. Saul met Jesus and was changed. If you haven't changed, then you probably have not met Jesus. I know those strong words, but I believe them. Jesus did not die to get us out of hell and into heaven. He died to get himself out of heaven and into us so that we could change, be changed lives. That's why he did it. Not to give us fire insurance. When were you changed? When were you changed? Don't get mad at me about it. It's what the text says. This This is how it reads. This is how I interpret it. It's how others interpret it. But show me anyone in scripture who met Jesus and followed him, And was not changed. Well, the first thing that I think God does is he changes our hearts. It's that that inside change. He changes us on the inside. I've learned so much about the heart over the past few months. My dad had a heart attack in August, had surgery. Things did not go well. He didn't get better. So a few weeks ago, we fly out to Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio, not the one just above us, the one way up there. We fly up there to an awesome facility, Cleveland Clinic, 20,000 employees, 51 buildings on 200 acres, just a phenomenal facility. The guy who actually created this ring that tightened the valve on my dad's heart is the chief of surgery there. was like, let's go to the source, go right to the source. And they take my dad in and he's just really weak, doing worse and worse and worse, could not hardly even walk when he got there. But they did the surgery everything went pretty well still struggling because of the damage of his heart but on sunday morning i flew up there on wednesday and was there for the surgery on sunday morning i was visiting with him before i headed back and we're sitting in there and it's you know nine o'clock nine thirty, and his surgeon comes walking through these double doors right by where his bed was nurses kind of looked awkwardly at him and like doctor I don't usually see you here on sunday he goes yeah I'm, i was going to be off today, but I just did a heart transplant, thought I'd stop by. I like, oh, that's awesome. Most people are getting ready to go to church and you just gave someone a new heart. That was cool, really cool. But as I was thinking about it, the heart is just a muscle. I mean, that's all there is to it. It's a fascinating muscle that can repair itself and do all kinds of cool things and they can manipulate it and they can work with it. But there's only so much they can do. But when God changes us, and he changes us on the inside and he gives us a heart transplant. It is awesome. It is so much more than this, a new heart. It's a new life. It's a new everything for us, which changes our perspective, keeps us from having to pursue things to just change our behaviors because he's changing us from the inside. And on a daily basis, people ask me now, if, if I'm saved, um, do you see that, that people can still fall back into sin even if they're saved? Well, I don't think we fall into sin. You know, I just, I was just kind of going along and I fell into this affair. Oops, I just fell and we were having sex. Oops, we don't fall into that. We step into that. We choose to do that. Even those of us who are saved, we don't fall into it because if we fall into things, we don't have to take the responsibility of them. I'm walking across the stage and trip over a wire. I can say, oops, man, I fell down. But if I jump off the stage onto my face, I choose to do that. That would be very awkward and not a big rally ender for the sermon. But we choose to go back into sin. We choose to walk into those paths. So yes, we can go down a path that's not pleasing to God. But I think the difference is you can sin as a Christian. You just can't enjoy it. You cannot enjoy it. Not because of guilt piled on you by the church, maybe that's a reason, but because you're being changed from the inside out. Things are going on the inside where those types of temptations are becoming not so big anymore. Because God's doing something on the inside and we're changing on the inside. If you can listen to this message today and walk out of here and say, whatever. Whatever, I've heard it before. According to the scriptures, you don't know Christ. Christ i just going to be black and white. You don't know Christ if it doesn't affect you. You're the same person who runs around doing whatever you want to do, claiming the grace of God covers my sins. Only by the grace of God, the grace of God. I can do whatever I want to because I got the grace of God. Jesus did not give us grace so that we could go out and sin. He gave us grace so when we do go out and sin, not so that we can, but when we do, he knows we're going to fail. But we don't do it on purpose. There's a big difference. You cannot meet Christ and stay the same. You know, Paul wrote most of the New Testament after this experience. He wrote things like for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. His mantra. But he also struggled. He struggled with things over and over and over. And he wrote about those in Romans. I can do, I I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do things I do want to do. And he doctor suites it up and it gets all confusing. But it's exactly what we do. We struggle every day with not doing the things we want to do and doing the things we don't want to do. The second thing is Jesus changes the outside. He changes the outside. It's not behavior modification because Christ changes our hearts. It's not about the checklist for impressing Christ. We don't have to perform a certain way in order to prove we are changed. We don't have to look different. We are different. We are different. If you've had an internal connection with Christ, then you're going to live a life that's motivated to reveal Christ. The first thing Paul did when he met Christ, he got baptized. He immediately submitted himself to the scriptures. He did not try to find a loophole around it. I know what the Bible says and I, I know we shouldn't be living together. You're right. You shouldn't be living together before you're married. But I think we're married in God's eyes. No, you're not. Well, God, God told me it was okay for me to have sex with my boyfriend. No, he didn't. He told us that we could live in this, this way outside of marriage. No, no, he did not. God would not and will not change his word to fit into our sinful lives. He does not negotiate with that. People who know Jesus do not try to find loopholes around what God's word says. Another evidence of that outward change is how you treat people. How you treat people. I was so shocked when I went into ministry that people could sit in the pews for 30 and 40 years and hate each other. I learned that when we were over in a little town called Manchester in West Georgia. And I was been in ministry a couple of years and I was planning this fall festival. And I called and had a couple of guys who were going to help me build some stuff for it. And another guy calls me and says, I heard you had so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. They're going to come help you. I said, yeah, man, we're excited about it. It's going to be a good night. He goes, you might want to have them work in different places. I was like, why? He goes, they hate each other. I was like, why? He says, some land dispute, blah, blah, blah. So when did that happen? He goes, well, actually it was their dads who got in the dispute. I was like, what? So these guys are already old. How old is this story? Like civil war dispute? What's going on here? He said, yeah, it was a a generation ago and they hate each other because of the hatred that their dads had for each other. That's ridiculous. I don't think that we can meet Jesus and hate someone. I think it's a spiritual impossibility to say that we know Christ, make changes and treat people as they are enemies. It is not right and it cannot be done. I know we have disputes and we have problems, but the scripture calls on us to correct those before the sun goes down. Not 50 years from now and pass it on to our children. If you've met Jesus, he will not let you hate someone. Meeting Jesus changes us on the inside and on the outside. We know that it happened and we know when it happened. As a father, I get to ask t- to do a lot of things. I Many of you dads, you get the same thing. i got a nine-year-old son who's wide open, loves baseball. He loves it, and, and I'm just deep. So every night when I get home, it's, can we throw? Can we throw, dad? Can we throw? Can we go hit? Can we go hit? Can we go jump on the trampoline and then throw and hit? Can we do this? Can we do that? I'm like, oh, yeah. Dragging me out there. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. That changed me, having children. 10 years ago, my best friend didn't call me and go, dude, you want to go jump on the trampoline? Um, no, I don't think so. That would be a little awkward if we did that. So having children changed me from the inside to do new things, to have a new behavior. I was changed. I also know when it happened. You don't call come to me and say, when were your children born? Um, I this really showed up one day. I don't, I don't really remember when they were born remember when this happened. I remember when I surrendered my life to Christ because after that day change happened. Things changed in my life. There was proof. Now I'm not asking you when you were confirmed, when you were baptized, when you were sprinkled or completed a class. I'm asking you when did you surrender your life to Christ and say I will follow you and allow you to change my life. It either happened or it didn't happen. Do you know? Let's pray. Do you know that you know Christ? Has he changed your life? There are people here today and you know you need Christ you know beyond a shadow of doubt you need Christ because you know your life needs to change. It may be your first time in church. It may be your millionth time in church. And you may have had religious experiences, but do you know? Jesus said, you do not have to doubt your salvation. That's one thing we can be certain of. Jesus says to confess to him as Lord. He doesn't offer you fire insurance. He offers you a relationship with him that will change your life from the inside out. I'm not gonna ask you to pray a prayer. I'm not gonna ask you to lift your hand to do that. I'm gonna ask you to be bold this morning. And if you know that you know that you need to make that decision, you need to surrender your life to Christ not for the 10th time because you've created some type of doubt in your own mind because you don't need to doubt it if you know it know it and believe it but if you're sitting here today and you're like I just don't know because there's not been a change I'm still acting the way I did yesterday and the day before and the day before and the year before I need to make that decision I'm going to ask you right now just to stand to your feet stand to your feet if you know you need to make that decision this morning Stand up right where you are. Be bold and just stand up and say, I need to make that decision and nail this thing down right here, right now. Stand up right where you are. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All over. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We want to pray with y'all. We want to pray with you and and walk you through this to your next steps. So as soon as we dismiss, I'm gonna ask you to go to your right, to my left over here, to um, this gentleman in the green and go outside those doors and we'll pray with you. But maybe today, you know, just as, as Saul did, he made that decision. He surrendered his life to Christ and immediately he was what? Baptized. He was baptized. And maybe today, that's what you need to do. Ironically, we have a baptistry set up in the parking lot. It just happens to be out there. And we, if you didn't come prepared to do it, we have got you covered, literally and figuratively, all right? We got clothes that you can wear, towels you can dry with. We got the facility to use. And if you need to be baptized today, I want you to be bold again and stand up to your feet right now. If you know you need to be baptized today, absolutely. Stand to your feet. Awesome. fantastic so for all of you all of you that have stood to your feet I'm going to ask you right now if you'll just go to to my left and to your right they're going to get you suited up and get you ready to be baptized and we're going to walk out there after I pray I'm going to ask everybody else to go to your left we're out the back walk around the building and the baptistry's out here in the circle and we're going to celebrate and have an awesome time of witnessing people go from death to life by going through the waters. If you're out there and you you feel the tug of the spirit and you want to be baptized, jump in line. Jump in line. We will be happy to take you through it. As we close our offerings, um, we take those up at the door and we'd love for you to continue in the spirit of worship as you give back to God what he's blessed you with. And we'll have those folks at the doors to do that. Let's bow our heads as we go. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for taking people from death to life because only you do that. It's not this church. It's not me. It's not Brandon. It's not anyone who stands on this platform, but you alone, God, are given all the glory for everything that happens in this place. God, we pray that each person who goes through this today, who's made this decision, will be changed we as a church can walk side by side with them to help them with their next steps and people who are in this room and their hearts are still pounding 100 miles an hour and think they're off the hook. God, I pray that you don't let them eat or sleep until they come to terms with this experience with you. They make a decision to follow you, that their lives are changed and this community is changed because of it. God, we thank you and we love you and it's in your son's name we pray, amen.